Bible says in 1 John that God is love. We also see in the Bible that God loves us personally. He knows us intimately. After all, He made us. And because it's clear from Scripture that God does care for us, what a blessing that He hasn't just left us to our own devices and ways and our own uh, thinking and wisdom, but He's given us some guidelines in the Bible that, that are extremely helpful. Helpful for all sorts of things, including how we handle money and possessions. God wants what's best for us. And of course, uh, we can please Him even in how we handle money and possessions. It's sad that a lot of people don't know how to do that in a way that's best for them as well as pleasing to God. And so we want to look at uh, money and possessions. Why this is important? Well, why is this important? Well, I think I told you before that about 15% of Jesus' recorded words in the Bible have to do with money and possessions. That's the recorded words. So it was obviously something very important to Jesus, dear to his heart. In fact, if you look at the Bible as a whole, it contains well over 2,300 verses that have to do with money and possessions. So Jesus taught more about this particular subject and topic more than any other. Uh, And so we want to look at the spiritual reasons as well as some practical reasons why Jesus would have talked so much about this subject of money and possessions. So let's, let's start with the spiritual reasons. By the way, if you, if you're one of those people who don't want to take notes, uh, let me know. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a handout next week that'll have all the notes for you. Okay. So let's, let's look at the spiritual reasons why Jesus would have talked and taught so much about this important subject. Number one, money is a primary competitor with Christ for first place in our lives. Jesus made that quite clear here in Matthew chapter 6. By the way, if you're not there yet, please turn to Matthew 6. We'll have a look what Jesus says. Matthew 6, look at verse 24. Matthew 6, 24. We can see the, the, the competitive nature that money has against Jesus here. Because he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve god and money so god understands us perfectly doesn't he after all he created us he knows that our tendency at least in our flesh or in our flesh our tendency is to to worship idols, to have other things that come before Him. And Jesus is addressing this issue here. So, He clearly says you cannot serve both money as well as God. By the way, let me just note here, because there are some who, who think uh, the opposite of what I'm about to say, that it's, it's, it's clear from Scripture that money and possessions are not evil. Okay, Money and possessions are not evil. Now, there are some who have said this in the past and continue to say this. So, so let me just uh, tell you what the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's clear, don't, don't turn there, because it clearly says it's not the money that is evil. If you know this verse, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So 
Clearly, it's not the money that's the evil. It's the love of the money that is the problem. It's, it's, it's idolatry of self, basically. So it's, it's a wrong attitude toward the money that Jesus or the Bible is addressing. So now let me, I'll give you an example, okay? Uh, we, we all know, I hope, that money can be used for very useful things. We, we can use it to help people, right? Like, like in Ephesians 4, it mentions that we're not to be lazy, uh, we're not to steal, but instead, instead work so that you have, so you can give to those in need. All right. But on the other hand, money can also be used to purchase things that are not helpful, evil, sinful, destructive, like things like, for example, illegal drugs or other things like that. So it's not the money that's a problem, it's often what people's attitude toward it. So number one is it is it's a primary competitor with Christ for first place in our lives. Number two, how we handle money affects our intimacy of the fellowship that we have with Jesus Christ. It does affect that. In fact, uh, look look here in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, what Jesus uh, said. This is Jesus speaking. He says, if you have not been faithful in the use of worldly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Rhetorical question. In other words, there's an obvious answer. And notice Jesus talking about the true riches. What are these true riches in life? Well, the true riches are a close relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not going to share this intimacy with you if there is something that's more important to you than me. Well, this is illustrated in the parable of the talents. By the way, the talents, just uh, think of it as money, okay? Uh, it varies in how much that is. But the master praised the servant who had managed money faithfully. And, it, uh, well, actually, look at Matthew 25 for this one. Matthew 25. Here's the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. And I want you to see what the faithful one what is said about the faithful one here. <clears throat> Matthew 25, look at verse 21 to start with. Verse 21. His master said to him, the, the faithful one here, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So as we handle money God's way, we have an opportunity then to share our Lord's happiness. We're able then to enjoy a more intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. So how we handle money is an indicator. Think of it as a, like a, a thermometer, if you will, of our true relationship with Jesus. It demonstrates, do we really believe what we believe? It demonstrates what we believe about God, what we believe about the Bible, uh, if we're willing to obey the principles there in the Bible. So those are just a couple of the spiritual reasons why Jesus would have addressed this very important topic. Let's look at a couple practical reasons. Number one, God realizes that money plays a very big part in our lives. It plays a huge part in our lives. Uh, Like it or not, we... We need money. We 
we use money. And so because, again, because God loves us so much, He's given us some direction then in how to handle money wisely. So Scripture's revealing lots of principles, for example, in, in, in even how to work, how to be a good employee or employer. Scripture gives us principles in giving and, and then how to, how to spend the money. How do you save? You know, the Bible talks about saving money as well. It talks about getting out of debt. It talks about even how to teach our children how to handle money. Number two, the second practical reason is that everything that you need to know about money and possessions is found in the Bible. It's found in the Word of God itself. I hope you're familiar with 2 Peter 1, verse 3, which says this, that God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God hasn't left you here on earth just living in a cloud in the fog with no direction. He loves you too much to do that. He's given you a lot of direction. Although, sadly, most of us, a lot of people, even Christians, haven't been taught God's way of handling money, and so we kind of just float along in life trying to do our best, and sometimes it's not, we, we don't do it in the, in the best ways because we, we haven't come to God's Word to find out what is the best. So it's good that we can do that. Well, let's look at uh, God's responsibilities as well as our responsibilities in, in handling money and possessions. Did you know, by the way, that God has some responsibilities? It's not all about us. He also, he's divided the responsibilities as we handle the money. There's a division of responsibilities. And I understand that a lot of the frustration that we end up having when it comes to handling money comes as a result of not recognizing whose responsibilities are what. In other words, what's God's responsibilities and what's our responsibilities? So we need to have a look at this. All right? So let's take a look at God's responsibilities to start with, okay? First of all, the Bible says that God is the owner of everything. God's the owner of everything. Now, why? Well, are you familiar with Genesis 1-1? I hope you are. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? He created it. He, he owns it. It's His. So, by the way, he never transferred the ownership of his creation to Adam and Eve. He never transferred that ownership to us. He maintains that ownership. And why is he the owner? Well, it just the Bible says he owns everything in, in several different places. For example, Psalm 24, which says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in it. Did you hear that? Everything in it is his. The Bible says that God owns the land. Like in Leviticus, it says that the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. Now it's God speaking to his people Israel. He said, you, you, you can't sell permanently what doesn't even belong to you. It's mine. The Bible says God owns the gold and the silver. Haggai chapter 2, for example, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Did you know God also owns the animals? He created those too, didn't he? 
In Psalm 50, it says that every animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. (laughs) Do you get the point? There's a lot more we could look at, but I hope you do get the point. God's the owner of everything. He created it. He's in control of it. So if we're going to be genuine followers of Jesus Christ, then, we then must not think of it as ours. And if we do, then we've got to transfer our ownership. Just like, you ever bought a car? A car that belonged to somebody else? Right? You, you have transfer of ownership papers you have to fill out if you've ever done that, right? So, so you fill that out and then, and then, you know, it goes to the government agency who takes care of that sort of thing and then, then the car belongs to them. It's not yours. Not legally yours. You, you can't go and, uh, get in that car and drive it away. Cause it doesn't belong to you. Well, look at Luke chapter 14. Look at Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Yeah, thanks. Luke 14. Look at verse 33. Verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus speaking there. He's saying we have to give up the claim of the ownership on all that we have. By the way, that includes your body, that includes your your children, your house, your vehicles, all your possessions, your job, your intellect, you name it. it. It doesn't belong to you. And so when we acknowledge God's ownership then, every spending decision then is actually becoming a spiritual decision. Uh, we, we no longer ask, well, hey, uh, God, what do you want me to do with my money? What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that question? What do you want me to do with my money? The problem is it's not my money, right? So when you recognize God's the owner of everything, then the, then the question is, God, what do you want me to do with your money? It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? That's the correct question. So when you have that correct attitude, then it will really help you to be a wise steward. Number two, second one on the screen here. This is God. Remember, God's responsibilities. We've, we saw God's the owner of everything. Number two, God is in control. He's in control. That's the idea of sovereign. He is sovereign. He has sovereignty. So our loving Father is in ultimate control of every event. This is clear, for example, in places like Psalm 135 or 6. It says the Lord does whatever pleases Him in the heavens and on the earth. Did you see that? He does what pleases Him. The idea is He's in control. There's nothing... That, that's throwing, uh, uh, you know, the, the the plan out of whack, if you will. He is doing what pleases him. And it's comforting, by the way, to know that uh, God is still in control, even when there's difficult circumstances that enter our lives. You're you're familiar with Romans eight twenty eight. By the way, the, it's for those who love God, those who 
are called according to His purpose. We know it says that, that all things God is working out for our good. So even the difficult things of life that we have to deal with are for our ultimate good and God's glory. And this is comforting to know, by the way, because for me, I've, I, I learn to trust God more when I recognize this truth. It gives me great hope going through life sometimes. Number three, God provides our needs. So here again, this is one of God's responsibilities. He's promised to take care of your needs. I hope you're familiar with Genesis 22. There's a wonderful title that's given to God by Abraham in Genesis 22. He was called Jehovah Jireh. I love that. Jehovah Jireh. That means that the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Abraham uh, was told by God to offer his son, his only son Isaac, on, on the altar. But God provided the, uh, the, the suitable sacrifice, an animal in, its pl- in, in his son's place. And he was called Jehovah Jireh. God or the Lord will provide. I love Philippians 4, verse 19 says that my God, this is Paul speaking here in Philippians 4, he says, my God will provide all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So the Lord, God has promised to meet your needs. He knows your needs. But there's a a qualification if you look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew 6. Now, this is coming in the context where God has commanded us to not be anxious. Don't worry. In fact, at least three times God commands you, don't worry, don't be anxious. I'm in control. I'm looking after your needs. But look what Jesus says in verse 33, Matthew 6, 33. Notice the qualification here. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, what things is Jesus talking about there? You look at the previous context. He's talking about food, clothing, and your needs. All the food and clothing, your needs, Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows. He's going to take care of you. But notice what the qualification is. You must seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. By the way, this is the same God who met the needs of the Israelites. We've seen His faithfulness for many books of the Bible in the Old Testament, haven't we? He he looked after the Israelites for 40 years in the wilderness, giving them bread from heaven every single day. Well, except for one. And they were to remember they were to gather enough to provide for that day when He didn't provide. We, We saw Jesus providing for 5,000 men plus women and children. They were coming to hear Jesus preach, and God provided through the five loaves and the two fish. He can provide through little means like that to meet people's needs. That's the way God is. God is predictable as well as unpredictable, I must say. I've certainly seen this in my own life. God's very predictable in His faithfulness, to me and my family, I know God has continued to show Himself faithful, but 
how God provides is very unpredictable. I would love to hear some of your testimonies on this because it's so cool to see God meeting my daily bread, my daily needs. I mean, I'll just give you a few funny ones. I was praying that God would meet our daily bread one day. This is when we lived in Hastings. And God blew money into my section. Literally blew money into my section. I don't know where it came from. Thank you, God. You provided. Thank you. For, you provided me for to, some money so I get some fruit and veggies today. Uh, another time, I, I th- this was in a car park. There was money sitting right at my feet as I opened the lock on my van door. It was, it was right there under my feet. I'm looking around, seeing if somebody lost their money. There was nobody around. Uh, we, we had a church just call us up out of the blue, say, hey, I'm sending you a couple thousand dollars. This was a church in New Zealand, one of our sister churches. Say, hey, we're praying for you. We're going to send you some money. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I mean, there was groceries on our doorstep one day. There was just many things. I could go on and on and on. God just continually provides for our needs in unpredictable ways. So God provides for our needs. That's, that's part of his responsibility. So let's look at our responsibilities quickly. Number one, we are to be faithful stewards of God's stuff, God's possessions. I think I put it on the screen here. Yep, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2, just says that it's required in stewards that a man, and by the way, that includes you women, that, that we're to be found faithful. doesn't say successful doesn't say become a millionaire or anything like that, just faithful. By the way, what's a steward? You may not be familiar with that term. Steward's just a manager of someone else's possessions. Well, who owns the possessions? God does. And He's given us responsibility then to manage His stuff, His possessions for Him, because it's His. And God says, I just want you to be faithful with what I give you. By the way, I want, I want to read what is said to the faithful steward. Uh, well, we already read that. I'll, I'll, you heard me say it already. The Bible says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. Uh, I'm going to give you charge of many things. But it's interesting what God says to the lazy. We haven't read that one yet. Look at Matthew 25. So in the same context, Jesus talks about the lazy servant, the lazy steward. Look at Matthew 25. This is the one in verse 25 who was afraid. He goes and hides the money in the ground. And so look what Jesus says about this lazy, unfaithful servant. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. Matthew 25, 26 says this. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Jesus is not commending this man for his slothfulness, his laziness, is he? So God wants us to understand the importance here of being a 
a faithful steward. So we're to be faithful stewards. Number two, we're to be faithful with whatever we have. And that, and it doesn't matter how much we have. The Bible is clear. You be faithful with what God gives you. Look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, this is coming in the context of the parable of the dishonest manager. Now look at verse 10 of Luke 16. Verse 10 says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. It doesn't matter the size. Some people have not been entrusted with very much. (laughs) People like us. Uh, Now, having said that, by world standards, we're wealthy, we're rich. But maybe according to to other people's standards, you might think, well, I don't have that much. Maybe that's because God knows we can't handle that. Maybe we haven't been as faithful as we should have been. And by the way, there's some extreme teachings that we need to be aware of, uh, which, I'll, which I'll get to in a, in a moment. But as faithful stewards, we never want to handle our money and our possessions in a way that's displeasing to the one who owns it. It's very important. So, number three. Our third responsibility is faithfulness with another's possession may determine what you are given. It may determine what you're given. So look at verse 12, Luke 16, again, still Luke Luke 16. Look at verse 12. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? So as our, let me ask you this, are you faithful with uh, another's? possessions how do you handle someone else's possessions by the way (laughs) think of this in relation to other people when you're borrowing uh, someone else's stuff how how do you deal with that are you faithful are you careful with that some people haven't been entrusted with with more because they tend to be unfaithful with the possessions of other people and like I said, there's some extreme teaching on this that so we need to be aware of. So be be careful of the one pendulum swing that goes the extreme teaching on wealth and poverty. And, and one of those is that godliness can only occur when you are poor. Godliness only happens in poverty. That's one of the extremes. And and certainly there's many people, oh, you know, way back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago who who believed that and taught that, and some even today still maintain that position. The other side is that money and possessions can be used for good or evil. It can be used for good or evil. And there's even people in the Bible who are godly people who are very wealthy at, at the time that the, the Bible was written. You can probably think of some. The one that comes to my mind is Job. Job was extremely wealthy for his day and age. But yet, he was godly. 
Now, in the Old Testament, God extended the reward of abundance to his people when they were obedient. But then on the other hand, there was this threat of poverty that we can see here, like in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where there is a consequence of disobedience. So have a look at this on the PowerPoint. It says, Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, and the Lord your God will bless you. Now this is not the prosperity gospel here, but there, there's, there's consequences for disobeying God. There's also blessing that comes from obeying God. Uh, here's another one on the screen. Uh, Proverbs, or Psalm, Psalm 35, verse 27 says, The Lord delights in the prosperity of His servants. By the way, it is legitimate to pray for prosperity. We see that in the Scriptures. In, for, I'll give you an example of one where uh, it's interesting prayer in Third John. There is no chapters in Third John which says, uh, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Interesting. So the Bible doesn't say anywhere. If you can find it, let me know. But I'm not aware that the Bible says that a godly person must live in poverty. A godly person can have material resources. And so... There's, there, that's, that's the one extreme that says that godliness can only occur in poverty. The other extreme would say that all Christians who truly have faith are then going to be financially prosperous. You're going to be wealthy. And if you're not wealthy, that means you just lack in faith. You heard that? We call that, the, the, by the way, the title for that is the prosperity gospel. And lots of people who aren't rich feel like they're somehow lacking in faith with God, that I am a, uh, you know, a poor Christian. Well, the study of Joseph's life should be pretty clear on this. You can see that sometimes even people who have faith in God aren't going to be financially prosperous, right? Read, read about Joseph in the last part of the book of Genesis. I mean, the guy had all kinds of... Uh, Good things to start with in his life, but his brother sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He's slandered, misrepresented. You know, he, he's a slave there in Egypt. He goes into Potiphar's house. Potiphar buys him. And uh, then he ends up in, in prison as a result of this misrepresentation and slander and so forth. In prison, he's forgotten. But eventually God raises him up out of prison to become the second in charge over this great nation of Egypt. So it was in God's timing that he was eventually elevated to the prime minister of Egypt. It's a pretty good example. If you look at uh, Joshua 1 verse 8, we have the guideline for prosperity here. which says, do not... Let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Now, how you may look at being prosperous and successful might be different from God's view. 
you got to be careful that you want to try to match those two up. And so that passage there, verses offering two requirements for prosperity. Notice what God says. You meditate on the scriptures, do everything that they command, then prosperity. Okay? Let me give you a little helpful diagram from uh, Crown Financial Ministries here. I, I found this extremely helpful. So they've, they've broken it up three columns, and I'm just going to give you one column at a time. So there's a poverty column, there's a prosperity column, and then there's the steward column. We'll look at that one last, okay? So look at the poverty. That's, that was one of those ex- extremes. So in regards to possessions, they see possessions as evil. And so then the reason for work is you just only to meet your basic needs. And this view would say, well, then godly people are poor, whereas ungodly people are wealthy. And so then why do I give? What's the purpose in giving? Well, because I have to. (laughs) And so my spending, therefore, is going to be fearful and joyless. No, no cheerful giving like the Bible talks about here. All right, let's look at the prosperity column. This is the other extreme. Okay, so for, for this one, possessions are a right. You're working to become rich. Godly people are the wealthy people. Ungodly people then are poor. <laughs> if you're poor, that means you lack faith and so forth. Why do you give if you're prosperous well you give to get and therefore my spending is carefree you're just spending to consume it as the bible talks about on your own lust well that's not the bible's view either one of those extremes is not the bible's view so let's look at the steward god calls us to be faithful stewards look at this one possessions for a steward is is a responsibility given to the from the owner you're working then to serve the owner, who is Christ. So therefore, godly people are faithful, ungodly people are unfaithful, and you're giving because you love God. And so therefore, if if that is the case, then your spending is going to be prayerful, it's going to be responsible spending. You're going to come to the owner and pray to the owner of all these possessions And you're going to be responsible with what he gives you. Well, let's move on to a third main category we need to talk about. And it has to do with work. Work. Do you realize that work is not a bad four-letter word? Some people think that work came as a result of Adam and Eve singing against God. Really? (laughs) Uh, I challenge you, read your Bibles properly starting in Genesis 1, go into Genesis 2, and, and, and you tell me, when did work begin? Before Genesis 3? After Genesis 3? You will find that it good, work is actually a good thing. All right? And if you don't believe me, look at Genesis 2. Turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, and you tell me, is this before the fall or after the fall? All right, don't answer out loud. <clears throat> All right, Genesis chapter 2. I want you to see from the very beginning, God said work is good. 
In fact, we're reading in Genesis 2, verse 15, which is obviously before the fall of mankind into sin. So everything was still perfect in Genesis 2, okay? That's the context. Now, look at Genesis 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And in verse 16, he was commanded that that he could eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So everything's perfect. But notice God has prescribed work, even in a perfect environment for a perfect man. There is no sin here at this point. So God has established work here, I don't think he did that for our, for his benefit. I think God did it for Adam's benefit. And so the first thing God did with Adam here in this sinless environment, which was in the Garden of Eden, was to assign him work. God established work, by the way, as the primary means that for supplying our needs. And it's it's been this way since the beginning, by the way. Look at Exodus chapter 34. Look what God says here in Exodus 34. Obviously, this is after the fall here, but work still is to go on. So look at Exodus 34, verse 21. Verse 21. God says, Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. Notice notice the first part. How many days did God say to work? God says six days you will work. By the way, God set the example in creation. God worked six days. And then the seventh day he rested. He's our example on that. By the way, work has another important function. God actually uses it in our lives. God is seeking to produce godly, Christ-like character in our lives. Someone has put it this way, that while the carpenter is building the house, the house is building the carpenter. Ever thought about that? (laughs) While the carpenter is building the house, the house is building the carpenter. Some of you have been involved in some building. You know how God can use work in your life to accomplish His purposes in your life, to build godly character in you. So a job is not just a a task designed to earn you money. Don't think of it that way. If you do, boy, you're going to get discouraged. But it's also intended to produce godly character in the life of the one who is working. And by the way, let me just note here, just so you understand, All honest professions are honorable. All honest professions are honorable. And I say that because as I studied church history, I've learned there were people who made this dichotomy, this distinguishing line between the the sacred and the secular. You know, so become a monk, become a nun, become a priest or whatever, and you're holy. And every, all the other people out there, the peasants and everybody else, the farmers and so forth, you're, you're just an unholy group of scum who can't serve God in what you do. 
That was basically this dichotomy they had made, and that's certainly not the case. All honest professions are honorable. Okay, now there's some dishonest, illegal professions which God certainly doesn't condone. I mean, you just think about this. Some of the ones represented in the Bible, right? A man after God's own heart, David, was a king, also a shepherd. Luke was a doctor. Lydia was a retailer who sold purple fabric. Daniel was a government worker. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker. And by the way, what was Jesus? A carpenter. <laughs> so those are just some of the professions that we see in the Bible, all honorable professions that can bring God glory. And God can use it in your life too. So let's see here uh, God's work responsibilities, and then we'll look at our responsibilities in regards to work. Number one, well, uh, we see that uh, there's actually three responsibilities that God has in regards to work. And, he, and number one is that God is the one who gives job skills. God is the one who gives you your skills. He's made you the way you are. For example, look at Exodus 36. This is cool. Look at Exodus 36, verse 1. Exodus 36, verse 1. Now, I'm not even sure how to pronounce these guys' names, but that let's say Bezalel, Oholab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So who's the one giving the skill here to build the sanctuary? God, Yahweh is the one doing this work. And he he didn't give one person all the skills. Did you notice that? God gave different people different abilities working together on these important projects. So he doesn't value one person over another. Number two, not only does God give job skills, but number two, God is the one who gives success. He's the one who gives success. We talked about Joseph earlier. So uh, let's look at just a couple verses in Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Joseph didn't become the prime minister of Egypt because he's, he's just full of awesomeness. It's not because he's such an awesome, amazing, skilled guy. God is the one who gave him success, and Joseph recognized that. Look at Genesis 39, verse 2. Genesis 39, verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. That's interesting. Even this unbelieving man... Potiphar is seeing God working in Joseph. And then it goes on to say, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. What a great testimony. That's a great testimony. So the life of Joseph is a good example of how God works in someone to make that person successful. And by the way, we have certain work responsibilities, but... Who's the one ultimately making you successful? It's God. So number three, God has a third work responsibility here, and we see that God 
is the one who controls promotion. God's the one who controls our advancement in our work. All right, so if you want to advance, if you want to be promoted, who should you be, who should you be looking to? Who should you be praying to? You should be praying to God, right? Let me give you an example here in Psalm 75, which says this. It says, it's God doing this work. He's the one bringing down. He's the one who is exalting. The idea is there. He's the one who is promoting someone else. God's doing this work. And so as much as it may surprise you, people aren't controlling this. I can't control my promotion. You can't control promotion or advancement in your job or your life. God is the one who is controlling your success and your promotions. A lot of people find that hard to believe. They don't live like it. Even some Christians don't live like this. And they, they'll leave God out of work and say, hey, that's my secular part of my life. That's, that's my part of my life. You know, I'll, I'll deal with God on Sunday, but the rest of the week is mine. Doesn't work that way. Your whole week belongs to God. So knowing that God is working with you every second of your life is, is, a, is a wonderful privilege and responsibility. And if you don't understand that, it can lead to great frustration in your life. So let's look at our work responsibilities. We've seen three responsibilities that God has. So what's our responsibility? So these are what, what God has delegated to you and to me. Okay, Number one. Who are we working for? We work for Christ. We work for Christ. Your real boss is Jesus. (laughs) All right? He's your real boss. Scripture reveals this. For example, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 23. Colossians 3, verse 23. It's pretty clear here as we read this. Take note, who is your real boss? Who are you serving? Who are you working for? Colossians 3, 23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Who who are you serving? The Lord Christ. So you've got to consider your attitude toward work then. Recognize who is your real boss. It's important to note that. You're working for Christ. Number two, we are to work hard. So as you serve Christ, you work hard. Okay, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In other words, do your best. Be diligent. Okay, Paul's life was a good example of this. Constantly challenged by the Apostle Paul. For example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's on the screen here, I believe. Uh, here's what Paul said, We work night and day, laboring and toiling, so we would not be a burden to any of you in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. 
He worked hard. He worked hard. He wanted to be a good example, a good model for these people to follow. And, and interestingly enough, to the Thessalonians, Paul said, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> they, they were being lazy, just kind of waiting around, doing nothing, waiting for the Lord to come. And so Paul was a good example to them. They were struggling in this area of being a good worker. So let's just quickly think as we kind of wrap this up of some blessings for those of us who work hard. There's some blessings, but there's also some, some negative things. There's consequences if, if we're lazy workers. But let's think of the, the blessings, first of all. All right, number one, the Bible is clear that you have adequate provision provided for you if you work hard. In fact, God says, look at the ants in Proverbs chapter 6. It's, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways, be wise. It stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. There's also wealth. Wealth might be part of this blessing from God. Proverbs 10 says that the diligent hands bring wealth. There's leadership as well. Proverbs talks about this, chapter 22. Diligent hands will rule. Uh, Sorry, that's Proverbs 12. Proverbs 22 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. So there's leadership that might come as a result of being a diligent hard worker. But a lazy worker then is going to suffer consequences for their sin. For example, poverty. Proverbs 10 says, Lazy hands make up a man poor. There might be difficulties. Proverbs 15 says, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns. If you're a farmer, that's not what you want. Uh, Death might come. Proverbs 21 says, the sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Proverbs is loaded with wise instruction in regards to our work and being lazy. But then on the other hand, number three needs to be mentioned here that we're not to overwork. (laughs) Uh, There are some people who like worship themselves by, by just pouring everything into their work. They're just totally consumed by the work. That can also be dangerous because in Exodus 34, God says six days you're to labor, not all seven. Six days labor, on the seventh day you are to rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest season. In other words, during those busy times of life, God says rest. The most busiest times you can think of, God says even you need to take a day to rest. Why? Because God set the example for us. And he didn't need to rest. So hard work's a good thing, but... We need to be balanced in our lives. Okay. Number four, we're to honor our employee or employers. Sorry, honor our employers. Look at First uh, Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. Turning your Bibles, First Peter two, please. First Peter 2, look at verse 18. So when you see the word servant here, think of, think of an employee, okay? Think of yourself as an employee here, okay? First Peter 2, verse 18. Servants or employees, be subject to your masters with all respect, 
not only to the, uh, to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So godly people do what here? It says, godly people honor those who are their superiors, their manager, their boss, whatever, the CEO, whatever you want to call them, okay? That's what godly people do. Honor the employer. And number five, we're to honor fellow employees, our, our workmates, the people we work with. We're to not slander them. The Bible specifically says not to do that. In Proverbs 30, verse 10, do not slander a servant or an employee. And you're not to to go to the boss, to the master, to the employer, and slander and talk bad about the person you work with. God says don't do that. You're to honor that person. So those are just some principles that God gives us in His Word on work. So, what a blessing. Again, think about this. God loves you. God loves me. He loves us. And He hasn't just left us on our own with no principles to guide us to live by. What a blessing. comes from the hand of a good God that He would do that. He's told us how to handle money. That's great. Why has He told us this? Because He owns everything. He's entrusted His possessions to us to manage. He requires us to be faithful stewards. We're managers of everything that He's given to us, which is everything. What a blessing that we have these financial principles that we have in this wonderful book we call the Bible. He's given us work to do, which is another blessing because He's a creative, working God. And we're made in His image. And what a blessing that he told us, don't work seven days a week, but take some rest. Be balanced in your life. But why do we do all this work? May I remind you? Who are you really serving? Who are you to be glorifying? God. We work for the Lord. And as we do that, we're to be diligent. We're to have the right attitude. Using all the money and the possessions that God has given us for His glory and honor, as well as to serve other people. May God give us His grace to accomplish those purposes.